0: I'm going to essentially confess something to you today that I have discovered in just my short tenure of really following Jesus. Not just praying a lot of prayers in my past, but but truly following Jesus, which is, by the way, the only people who are going with him when he comes. If you are going to live righteously you need to expect opposition like it's it's coming and then and then when you overcome one you're going to face another and when you overcome that one you're going to figure out something about yourself that you have stuffed and compartmentalized for the last 10 years and then when you take care of that God's going to show you something else and while, while he's showing you what he's showing you he's going to send you somebody that you don't like or the enemy's going to send you somebody that you do like and he's going to use them against you while you're trying to work on you yeah. and it's just incessant if you are going to lead let's take this out of the church for a second if you're going to have any influence in society on the job at the workplace with your family in your home if if you're going to coach student athletes in this day and age that think they all deserve playing time and scholarships come on somebody <laughs> oh that one didn't resonate okay if you're if you're going to teach a spoiled rotten child in this generation who every time you try to correct them in the classroom, you have to have a parent-teacher conference because you're really not teaching the child. You're having to deal with the parent. Can I get some amens in the house now? This <laughs> seems like if you're going to lead, let's bring it back to the church, your family. If you're going to pastor your home, If you're going to live righteously, you're going to face opposition. Think of David. The story of David and the enemies that David would face are very similar. You can almost parallel them to the enemies and the opposition that Nehemiah faces because the enemy doesn't have new tricks. He's still doing the same thing today that he was doing in the days of David. Why? Because it still works, and it still distracts people, and it still divides people, and it still discourages people. David, out in the field, playing his harp underneath the stars, just keeping the sheep. Yeah, I know, there was a time when a lion attacked the sheep, and and he, he threw a slingshot, a rock at him in a slingshot, and he killed the lion, and he, and he killed the bear. But, but he's out away from all the problems of the world and in the middle of the field, you know? When you're in the field, you got to kill some stuff sometimes. You just get to eat. Come on, somebody. Like God sent him dinner. That's just a, not a challenge. That's a blessing. And his father, Jesse only remembered that he had seven sons when the prophet showed up and asked who he could anoint as the next king. And the prophet reminded Jesse that he had forgotten about David, the eighth one, the youngest one, the one that was out in the field alone, playing his harp underneath the stars with very little opposition and very little distraction. I mean, just take care of the sheep. Just hang out with the sheep, David. We'll take care of all the rest of the stuff. And all of a sudden, the prophet calls David back into the city and he anoints him as king of Israel. What a great moment, right? Until he stood up. And from the moment that he was anointed as king of Israel, he faced opposition for the rest of his life. He spent the rest of his life having to overcome the incessant opposition. The first one that he faced, he went to the battlefield. On behalf of his brothers, by the way, he was bringing them food. And they scoffed at him. What are you doing here? I'm bringing you something to eat, jerk. Here, have the food I brought you. That's what older brothers are good for. (laughs) And then he hears this giant out in the field. And so he goes down and he takes five stones, which is, by the way, the number of grace, and he stands in the grace of God, and he faces the giant, and he slays the giant. And then he has to, instead of being celebrated by the king and supported by the king, whose name was Saul, the person that should have been celebrating him and supporting him started throwing spears at him. And then he wanted to kill him. And David had to run for his life. He finally becomes king. And then the enemies begin to rise up in his own house. And his own son sits at the gate and recruits an army against him. Opposition. If you're going to live righteously, you're going to face opposition. If you're taking notes with me, I want you to write this down. The opposition will come, and they come in forms. The first form that they'll come in, number one, is the naysayers. Just to recap the story of Nehemiah. He was in the, the palace. He was like the second man in the Persian army, in the Persian empire. He was the cupbearer for the king. The only person closer to the king was the queen. The king cared about Nehemiah. He was close to Nehemiah. He probably listened to Nehemiah. He supported Nehemiah. And Nehemiah left the comfort of that palace to go out to an unprotected, unfortified, ungodly people and help provide a covering as soon as he shows up on the scene he examines he walks around and then he shares the burden of God and at first come on at first the people are excited because anybody can get excited about something at first come on and at first the people are ready man there let's get to work come on they say let us let us rise up and build strengthen our hands for the good work and the next verse, Sambalot, Tobiah, the little loud pipsqueak with no authority, and Geshem, the anti religious, humanitarian Geshem. They begin to despise the people, and Nehemiah faces them in chapter 2. He rebuilds, leads the people to rebuild all the gates in chapter 3. And then in chapter 4, here they are again. This is how they come back, naysayers. Verse 1 of chapter 4, when Sambalot heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And so he, he jeered at all the Christians. He jeered and scoffed at all the church people. Come on, because hear me, listen, because when the enemy can't distract the pastor, he goes after the people because he knows that the pastor cares about the people. And so when he can't distract because the pastor surrounded himself with enough boundaries and accountability and people that are protecting him and praying for him and holding him accountable to all those boundaries that he said he set up, he decides to go after the people that the pastor cares about. He didn't come after Nehemiah. Nehemiah already dealt with him in chapter 2. So when he comes back, watch, he shows up this time with an army. I'm talking a judicial branch full of people. A legislature full of individuals. And he begins to jeer at the people. What are these feeble Jews doing? What are you going to do? Where's your Jesus? Where's your God? Come on, I know you look good on Sunday morning. What you gonna do now? You're not around all the rest of those people. Will they restore for themselves the wall? Will they sacrifice? Uh, come on, all of a sudden, somebody asks you to sacrifice. Sacrifice. Like, oh, man, this is going to cost me something. I thought I just got to pray and be a part of something cool. I was just trying not to go to hell. I just, Will you sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Look at all the work that's got to be done. You're never going to finish this. This world is going to hell in a handbasket, and you can't do anything about it. It's as bad as it's ever been. It's worse than it's ever been before. Jesus, come back and just spare us from this God-forsaken land. That's what the enemy's saying to him. What you gonna do here in these days? Will they revive the stones? Remember that, the stones of David, the wall of David, the wall of Jerusalem, the glory days of Israel. Will they restore the stones of the glory of God? Out of these heaps of rubbish, what you gonna do with these dirty, rotten sinners? For they're just broken down and they're burned up. At that, verse three. Tobiah, the little pip squeak, loud mouth, little guy, big truck. About all he has. Come on, <laughs> Daddy bought it for him. Likes to rev it up at seven in the morning so everybody can hear him going to work. Sorta. Going to be back home at 11, stay there till 2, and rev it up again. Tobiah, the Ammonite, he didn't even have any authority. He's, he's, not, even, he's not even a person of influence. He just has a big mouth. He ain't even going to talk to you. He's just going to talk about you. Tobiah was beside him, and he said, yeah. <laughs> I can't do the whole thing that way. What they are building, if a fox goes up on hit on it, he's gonna break it down. He's gonna break down that little fox. That thing can't handle a squirrel running across the top of it. Nehemiah's response. I want you to notice Nehemiah's response to the ridicule. See, Nehemiah believed in the power of prayer because he had spent four months doing it. This was not something that he resorted to. This was a common practice for him. It was just who he was. It was part of his identity. It was his automatic response, not just his first response. He had practiced it so many times, it's just what he he automatically went to. Verse 4, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads. Here's what Nehemiah was saying. It's the mess, it's the, the, the title of the sermon today. Nehemiah was saying, flip it, God. Flip it. Not like in an ugly way, not as a replacement for the Christian cuss word. That's not what he's saying at all. Turn, turn back their taunt. In other words, he believes in the vengeance of God. He doesn't even have to respond to this. He just goes to the one who he knew had called him. Let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. Nehemiah wasn't praying a remember my sin, O oh Lord. He wasn't just standing in defense for himself. He was standing in defense... For the sons and the daughters of God, and the burden and the calling of God. He says, let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Notice what he calls what they had said to those people. He reminds them of who they are. He's praying out loud so that the people can hear. The enemy had one thing to say. Nehemiah, listen to me. The world is going to tell your children they're one thing, but you got to remind them of who they are. The world is going to call you one thing, but you got to remember who you are. Nehemiah prophesied back into the hearts of the people, and when the enemy called them nothing, And when the enemy began to taunt them and discourage them, Nehemiah called them builders. That's who you are. So, verse 6, we built the wall. And the wall was joined together to half its height. And then just leave this up here for a second. Look at that last phrase. And the people had a mind to work. I like that one. It doesn't say the people had a mind to watch other people work. It doesn't say the people had a mind to whine about the work that the other people weren't doing. Come on. It doesn't say that the people had a mind to wait on the Lord as we worship in his name. Get that work done while I worship. I got some waiting and strengthening to do. No, 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 no. I'm not saying there's not a time for that and that that's not important, but Nehemiah had already done that because there's a time when you need to stop praying and start practicing. And there's a time when you need to stop practicing and start producing. Because I can pray over you all I want to. But until you get a mind to work this thing out, then you're going to keep coming back to me and asking me for the same prayer over and over again. When we decide that we're destined, then we will stop being doomed. 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul writing to his son in the faith. He says to him, Timothy, If you're gonna live righteously, you're gonna have to fight, son. Fight the good fight. Don't just be loud and emotional like everybody else. That's not what he's saying. Complain behind a computer screen like everybody else. Anybody can complain. Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. Take your hand And hold on to eternal life, watch, to which you were called. In other words, God's calling is greater than your critics. 2 Timothy chapter 2, he tells him again, just in case you didn't hear it in my first letter, (laughs) New King James Version, Paul says to Timothy, You therefore must endure hardship. You must. If you're going to make it, Paul, a person that received five times the beating that Jesus received before the cross, five times. A person who wrote more letters in prison than most people care to read. In a lifetime Paul says if you're gonna make it in the ministry well I don't want to be in the ministry well then you don't want to be a saint because it is the saints the people of God who are equipped to do and accomplish the work of God if you're gonna make it you must endure hardship as a good soldier come on it's not it's not always fun it's not even always fulfilling sometimes it's frustrating sometimes it's a fight but paul also wrote like i'm not just swatting at flies mosquitoes i'm not just beating against the air aimlessly flailing around. No, no, no. I have a purpose. Come on. God has destined me. He hasn't just saved me from things. He saved me for things. And in order to accomplish those things, you're going to have to endure the hardship. Paul says this later on in the same book, chapter 4, verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I want to be able to say to my spiritual sons and daughters, at the end of my days, I don't know if I won all the battles, but I'm going to be known in the kingdom for the fight that Jesus put in me. I have fought the good fight. I have, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Number one, you'll have to face the naysayers. Number two, you're going to have to face the critical Christians. Some people think they have the gift of discernment. What they really have is the gift of discouragement. Come on. I heard, uh, I heard some people that they're negative Nancys. Some people are negative Normans. Some people are just negative ninnies. They just whine about everything. Maybe we might want to call them the doubting disciples. Come on, no no matter what God says, no matter what you think God says, they doubt it. No matter what you tell them, they tell you the opposite. Let me teach you a trick. If you know who those people are, tell them the opposite, and when they disagree with you, say, well, that's really what I wanted to do anyways, and then just move on with the meeting. <laughs> not that I've ever done that. I just, <laughs> yeah, no, I have. And so, the, the critical Christians, this is this is the opposition in your own camp. You know, the people that are supposed to fight with you, but they're fighting against you. I'm, I'm not talking about just like people that that disagree with you and you have a discussion and and you honor one another and it makes you more dynamic. You know, like a marriage, praise the Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about incessant opposition in the form of people who are listening more to the enemy than they are to their own anointing. Watch, Nehemiah 4, verse 10. In Judah... It was said the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing y'all got too many events at this church how y'all having how many Easter I got to come to all of those is he asking for money again the church called and asked me to serve what I'm supposed to host a what kind of group? This better be a small group. I ain't trying to have all them people in my house. (laughs) The strength of the few. Pastor, you got to recruit some more people. I'm getting worn out. I got to work all week. I don't know what y'all do all week, but I work. (laughs) Listen, nobody's saying that. If somebody was saying that, I wouldn't be preaching it, okay? I'm preaching it before it's said. (laughs) Or since it stopped being said. Come on, hallelujah. (laughs) The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. Now, why in the world would they use that word? This wasn't rubble. These were the stones of the walls of David. Solomon in the glory days of Israel. Why would they call the precious stones of God's wall of protection rubble? Because that's what the enemy called it. And instead of operating in their anointing, they are echoing the voice of the enemy. This rubble is too much, man. Man, all these new people, they don't, they don't smell right. They don't, they don't look right, man. All these new songs, man, I don't... I mean, I know they're playing it on air one right now, but do we just have to do all these? about well, some good old, Jesus is coming soon for me. What are we doing? So loud in this house by ourselves watch, by ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall I love this Nehemiah verse 14 says, and I looked and I arose here's what was happening Nehemiah was sitting over at the side Like this, and he was listening to some of the stuff that was going on. The Bible says, after they said what they needed to say at the business meeting, you only get that joke if you've been to a business meeting (laughs) where those things happen. The Bible says, Nehemiah, after they finished saying what they wanted to say, he stood up. He said to the nobles, to the officials, and to the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. He's not speaking to the people who are being critical even though he's probably not too happy with them because he's human. He's not talking to the individual or the person he's talking to the enemy that is causing the person to feel the way that they're feeling so he's talking to the spirit behind the opposition and he is reminding them do not be afraid why because you're not supposed to do this on your own you never had to build this wall by yourself. You never had to walk this thing out by yourself. You never had to figure this thing out. You never had to fix all of this stuff. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the all factor of the almighty God that you serve and fight for your brothers and fight for your sisters and fight fight for your sons and fight for your daughters and fight for your wives and fight for your house and fight for your heart and fight for your habits and fight for the people that God puts in your path. Somebody rise up and build something that needs to be built and remember that it was God that said, I will build my church and the gates of heaven or any other critic shall not prevail against what I build. So fight, says Nehemiah. I don't know if this is in your notes. I don't believe it is. This verse is. Verse 15 says, when our enemies heard that. I like that. Nehemiah said, how do you like me now? That says, when the enemies heard that it was known to us when the church stops blending into the culture and the enemy realizes that the people have caught the calling they heard that God had frustrated their plan, and we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. Watch this, listen. They overcame the criticism by coming together. Let me say it this way. The only way to overcome a mutiny is with unity. When a child begins to form a mutiny in a home, it takes the unity of a son and a daughter of God coming together to trump the mutiny. When a group of people in a church begin to criticize and divide and discourage, it takes the leadership and some people who are so in unity of the spirit that the person trying to cause division is the one that stands out and feels most unwelcome in a culture who is trying to attack the very identity of creation. If you want to overcome the mutiny that has taken place in the land that we call our home, then the church has got to come together and Be in unity. Because the only thing that can trump a mutiny is the spirit of unity. Number three. When the naysayers can't have their way. And their critics are reminded of their calling. And they come together and get back to work. In chapter 5, we actually see some greedy people who try to take advantage of the less fortunate people. And Nehemiah steps in and deals with that as well. Abuse is never okay. Scripture has never tolerated it or allowed it. And then we jump into chapter 6. And we see that the enemy comes back with another blow. In fact, they try this four times. This is how uncreative they are. They try the same thing four times. Number three is the distractors. When the enemy can't discourage you, and and when he realizes, um that you can't be divided then He begins to attack to a place where you forget your focus. One after another after another after another you become distracted. You become distracted from God's purpose by bills just like everybody else you become distracted from god's purpose with temptation just like everybody else become distracted from god's purpose by sickness just like everybody else when the enemy cannot discourage you from your destiny and he cannot divide you because you came back together he begins to try to give you more to do than you can ever get done hang on I'll preach it Nehemiah 6 verse 2 when Sambalot maybe it starts in verse 1 now when Sambalot and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it. Although up to that time, I had not set up the doors in the gates. He rebuilt the gates, but the doors needed to be put in. Somebody put the doors in. Verse 2, Sambalot and Geshem sent to me. Where is Tobiah? He never had any authority. He just has a big mouth. Sambalot and Geshem sent to me saying, hey, come let us meet together at Hekepharim in the plane of oh no now i don't know if god did that on purpose but i think he did and nehemiah says but they intended to do me harm a very well-known businessman who i don't want to give credit for the statement because i don't like him but he did say the statement you can google it later figure out who he is He said this, I agree with this. Sometimes you just chew up the meat and you stomp on the bones, okay? Yeah, I know you're just supposed to spit them out, but I don't like this guy that much. So I pray for his soul. Doesn't mean I have to like him. I don't just love him. I just don't like him. Okay, so he said this though. uh, (laughs) A successful person, the difference between a successful person and a very successful person is the way they learn to say no Let me say this one, Dr. Sam Chan. I love Dr. Sam Chan and I like him. Very renowned Christian leader, CEO, business leader as well. He said this, when you're young, you have to say yes to as many things as you can because as you get older, you're gonna have to learn what to say no to. Because if you don't, you will always just simply be distracted. That is the essence. When I got here, the first few weeks, there was this expectation of the pastor. And I think we've just about kept everybody that started out with us, but there were some expectations. And guys, look, I have never really been good at living up to other people's expectations of me. Because I'm honoring. And I know that. I don't think that's like a God-given quality. It just is the way that I am. But I realized that there was no way that one person could live up to the expectations of all these people. I knew. I knew in my head at that time when we had 100 people coming in November. I knew that God had something more for this church than one person could ever facilitate. And and people would say, man, this this can't get done. People would say, hey, I would get we would get phone calls. This person's in the hospital, this person's sick, this person's homebound, this person needs this, this person needs that. And I said, Whoa, hey, whoa, hey. Whoa. <laughs> I have a family, and I'm planning on making it in ministry for the next 35 years. I'm not running around all week doing a whole lot of things that 120 other people are perfectly capable of doing too. So we're gonna build a team. And those people are going to go pray with somebody in the hospital. We're going to build a team. And those people are going to call people at home that can't get here. We're going to build a team. And we're going to send our services online. We're going to build a team. And we're going to have two services so that you can serve in one and attend another. We're going to build a team because I have a bride and some babies and some things that I know God has called me to do. And if I spend all my time doing what you expect, me to do, then I might miss out on what I'm anointed to do. The Bible, and I'm not above it. I had not preached this. I've been four and a half years. i never preached this before. I'm not above it, but on a Sunday, I'm called to preach. That means I'm not doing plumbing. I don't do plumbing at my house. I call a plumber. If the plumber busts up in here on Sunday and says, God called me to preach, I'm going to say, Not here, he didn't. You got the wrong address. You better go back to the one that's sending you. Because there are some things that only you can do. And it's not better or worse than what somebody else can do, it's just what you're supposed to be doing and so when the enemy it's not that those other things aren't important it's that you need some help you need some people to come alongside of you well i don't have anybody well then just go back to whining while i get to working and if you don't have anybody then be the somebody we can't begin to just try to do and appease and take care of this and that and every other thing that comes up in a day and never get anything done because we're getting distracted We got to focus. Paul said, hold on, take hold of eternal life because all these other things aren't going to matter. So, when you have been working so much overtime that you hadn't spent any time with Jesus or your family or the people that really matter, when your boss calls back again and says, I need you to come back in, you got to say, My calling is here in this place. I got to spend some time with my spouse. I got to spend some time with my grandchildren. I got to spend some time at this church. I'm sorry, but we're not playing travel ball on Sunday. I'm sorry, but we're not running all over the place place and neglecting the things of God so that we live up to the expectations of everybody that the enemy tries to put around us and distract us. As for me and my house, we will serve and we will give. I know you need me to pay that bill, but God told me to tithe. And I don't know where the money's coming from, but I know the one who has it. And so God may sell a cow, but you can wait just a minute on your student loans and your hospital bills because Jesus is more important it to me than what you did for my body distracted distracted Nehemiah sent messengers I love this Nehemiah sent a me- he didn't even go out there he stayed where God put him he said hey I need you to go over there And tell them that what God told me to do is more important than what they think they need me to do I'm gonna finish this and if they still want to have a meeting after I'm done then maybe we can have the meeting but you go tell them that I have a purpose and God has a plan he said I'm doing great work I cannot leave my post because if I leave my post before I raise somebody else up to teach this group if I leave my post before I raise somebody else up to pray this prayer if I leave this post before I recruit somebody and release somebody to carry the mantle of this specific issue in my place. I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down? Come on, I'm finishing. Jesus, Mark chapter 11. Jesus went through the sheep gate and he, he went into the temple that Ezra had built underneath the wall and through the gates that Nehemiah led the way in building. And he walked into the temple, the house of God. Now Jesus, he would say that he is about his father's business and his father's house is to be a house of prayer. This was his calling. This was his assignment. He had a purpose when God instituted a plan. So when Jesus walked into the temple, I stole this from uh, another pastor on Instagram last week. And I said, they might not know who you are, but I'm still in that next Sunday because it goes right in with what I want to preach. His name is Pastor Samuel Rodriguez. He actually helped produce the movie Breakthrough that we celebrated a couple of Easter's ago. He, he, Jesus didn't walk in and see the the den of robbers in the house of God, the critics and the doubters in the house of God. He didn't walk in and go, hey, um, you guys are going to want to take that stuff off of this table um, because I'm, I'm, I'm going to turn it over because I don't want you using this see some people only know the gentle Jesus some people only know the sweet Savior But they forget that he's the God of the Old Testament as well. They forget that he was the God in the fire. They forget that he was the God on the mountain. They forget that he was the Lord in the valley. They forget that he's the one that split the sea and led by fire and led by cloud. They forget that the same savior is the one that stared into the face of a complaining Christian and said, get thee behind me, Satan. Jesus didn't gently walk into the temple and request everybody clean house. He walked into the face of the enemy and he took hold of that table and when the opposition began to arise Jesus flipped the problem and when they came against his head and they came against his heart and they began to accuse him over his habits Jesus began to flip it. When they came against his house he flipped it. When they came against his calling he flipped it. When he came against his purity he flipped it. When the enemy enemy tried to tempt him with some pieces of bread. He flipped it in the face of that devil. Come on. He didn't bop it. He's not little bunny foo-foo. He didn't bop it on the head. He didn't twist it and irritate it. He didn't pull it and let it hang around. He walked up and said, this is my father's house. I am the temple of the New Testament. And this opposition is not allowed to stay because I have an assignment. I will fight the good fight. I will finish the race. I have kept the faith. Nehemiah, 52 days. Verse 16. When all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and they fell greatly in their own esteem. Do you know why the world and the society is so audacious today against Christianity? It's because they're not afraid of the church because the church has learned how to look just like them and say that they believe something else. But when the people of God get back to the things of God and they re-Bible themselves and their house and their habits and their attitudes and their habitat and their desires and their longings and their pursuits and what they truly invest in and what they truly believe in, and it is reflected in the way that they behave and God begins to take somebody that should have given up and God begins to take somebody that shouldn't be able to stand up and God begins to take somebody that should have stayed back over here or gone back to who they used to be but their friends don't recognize them anymore and they criticize them because they're not willing to fall with them any further than they already had when God begins to have his way the hearts of his people again. Then the world will remember the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jesus, and the light of God will shine brighter than it's ever shown before. For they perceived that this work, the only way that you could be who you are, the only way that you're doing what you're doing, because of the all factor of God. Remember the Lord, how great and awesome is he. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Jesus, we need your help in this society. We need your help in our hearts. We need your help to train our children We need your help to overcome every temptation. We need your help to look like what we say we believe. Lord, help us to pray for our naysayers. Lord, help us to be coached by our critics. But God, help us to never become so distracted that we neglect to accomplish our destiny. Help us, Jesus, build your church, anoint our hands to reestablish the boundaries of culture. Lord, right now, as the church examines, I want to pray for anybody in the room or watching online who doesn't know you. Who is not confident in who you've called them to be. It's cliche, but God, if they had to stand before you today, they would not hear, well done, good and faithful servant. They would hear fearfully depart from me Jesus you paid you sacrificed so that all we had to do was surrender Lord I pray right now for anybody that needs to surrender their life to you receive salvation today recommit their lives to you If that's you and the Holy Spirit is stirring in your heart right here in this place or watching live or later online, I wanna invite you to open your hands right where you are. Press pause on everything else around you and acknowledge the presence of God who has been pursuing you relentlessly for this moment right now. Position yourself in a posture of surrender and just begin to confess the things that you know you need to let go of. Begin to confess the things that you know you've been holding on to and just cast those off, just cast them off. And at the same time, begin to call upon the name of the Lord and receive the salvation that comes with the call. Church, I wanna invite you to pray loud so that anybody that needs to pray this prayer would have the confidence to pray out loud. Come on, let's say it together. Say it with me. Jesus, forgive me for listening to the wrong voices. Save me, cleanse me of myself, this world, and the enemy. I believe you died on the cross. You shed your blood. You paid for my victory. You were raised from the dead. So I could be born again, made new, just like you, anointed with an assignment. I surrender my all to you, Jesus. Take my life, make it yours. May I follow you with all of my heart for all of my days. May I fight the good fight. May I finish the race. May I keep the faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, can you give God praise today?